Hello everyone, for Gray Man Media, I am your host, Devin Gray, and this is Down to Earth with Wesley Keys. Wesley is an aspiring music artist here in Louisville, Kentucky. He is a great father to his daughter, Justice, and one of my closest friends. You can find him on Facebook and Snapchat at Contro underscore 23 and Instagram at Contro underscore 1295, and that is Contro with a K. Wesley, how are you today? I'm good, brother. How are you? Fantastic, man. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. I'm honored. Yeah, episode one of uh, Down to Earth. Um, so, Wesley, um, one of the things that I want to kind of talk about and give you the opportunity to talk about um, that I think that a lot of people might want to know, especially, especially like, I know a little bit more about you than some of the other people in the group. Um, why don't you let us know a little bit about your childhood? Um. Started out in Fern Creek, Kentucky. My birthday is January 2nd, 1995. I started out in Fern Creek, Kentucky for the first nine years of my life with my aunt and my uncle who pretty much raised me as my parents. And my aunt passed away when I was eight. My biological mother passed away when I was five. And then I went to go live with my dad downtown in the inner city. And from there, like just journeying back and forth um, with my uncle is how I met you, of course. And the rest is history. Yeah. I wish I was, I would have prepared some questions. Um, let's, let's kind of go, let's, let's go back a few years. Okay. Um, to your time in Fern Creek. Why don't you take us there? Um, First place I lived was on Wimsett Way, right down the street from Front Creek High School. Um, then after that, we moved to Dominium Homes. I think they changed the name of the suburb. It's something different now, which is across the street from Watterson Elementary School. And I lived there for maybe two or three years. And after that, that's when I moved with my dad. Yeah. Just um being in the area out here, one of my closest childhood friends, Jesse. I haven't seen him in a while. Shout out to him. Um, he was like one of the only friends I really had until I moved out of the area. Then when I moved to the suburb, crazy thing about it, I ended up next door to my cousin, who I didn't know was my cousin, then found out. Mm. And one of my other closest childhood friends, Desiree, shout out to her, by the way. We've been friends two decades next year. Um We've been friends since first grade. I still talk to her a lot. I'm very close with her family. Her family was there for me through some of the most like dramatic times, like in bad times of my life when I was younger. My mom was in and out of the hospital. After she passed away when I was nine, I went to go live with my real dad downtown. And I was staying back and forth from his house to my aunt's house on 37th and Garland in the West End. And going back and forth, bouncing between house and house as I went through elementary school, middle school, and high school. Yeah, let's can I let's let's talk about because it's that's something that's very. Um, I I don't I don't know how I don't. It's hard to be in that perspective unless you literally lived through that. Uh-huh. What is it like, you know, losing your mother at such a at, at such an early age, like? A, like, what does that do to you as as a child? And B, you know, how does that manifest itself into your, now that you're an adult? Um, well, honestly, I can say on that subject that it screwed me up emotionally. 
I'm not gonna lie to anybody. I felt more alone in the world like after she left. I know I was a problem child and everything else, but after she left, I honestly felt like I didn't have anybody. And just growing up in a house by yourself because all of my other biological siblings were in their 20s and 30s at the time. I was pretty much isolated. I really didn't have anybody else in the house that could relate that was around my age. I was pretty much alone. And going from there, it's like, I don't think I've ever been perfect emotionally because of that. That did cripple me in some way. I'm not going to lie because my mind never grasps, like got a good grasp on it. And I'm still like, I still have issues with the reality to this day, but honestly, Losing her at a young age put, like, fear in me of and, like, honestly making me, like, promise myself I would never let anything happen to me while my daughter is that young. So, because I don't want her to go through what I went through. Mm -hmm. Because losing the person you're closest to, especially a parent, is, it's scary. Yeah, I can't. I, I, I. Like obviously, you know, I in a sense lost my father at around the age of ten, but yeah, it, it was that's a very different sets of sets of circumstances. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, what to somebody who might be going through that uh, similar situation as you, what what do you wish somebody would have told you? Like, what do you know now that you would have told yourself back then? Damn, that's that's a really good question. Honestly, don't isolate yourself from people. Because that is the main reason, like, I've never been able to deal with death or a tragedy in my life correctly and actually, like, talk about it. I talk to people, but at the same time, I'm very much to myself. Like, I close myself off a lot. And my dad used to tell me a lot as a kid, like, holding all that emotion back could end up backfiring badly. And... It caused me to say some things and do some things I shouldn't have done and hurt people I shouldn't have hurt at a young age because I was so messed up that I really didn't think about how anybody else felt. I only thought about how I felt. And honestly, that's the one thing I would have told myself, like, be more caring. When somebody tries to talk to you, listen. Don't make it all about you. And... Like, don't make yourself emotionally unavailable to everybody. I think that's sound advice for anyone. Yeah. Like, that's that's just really solid advice. Like, a, I, f I see that in a lot of, especially with the with the way technology is, is kind of separate. In a way, it's bringing us closer together, but it also kind of separates us. Yeah. Um, I think that, that a lot of people are just kind of, they close themselves off, especially when they're dealing with uh, trauma. Yeah. I can't imagine going through that type of trauma at such an early age. Okay. So, so, okay. So you talked a little bit about how, you know, you, you, you might've said some things and did some things that, that you probably would not have done. So what, 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 what specifically about embracing other people around you could have, how could that have helped? Honestly, I think it would have just made life a lot better because me acting the way I used to act, I just didn't care. Like, people were there for me, but I was so closed off that I felt like nobody was. And it, it just turned out bad, man. It's like my aunt, my favorite aunt out of all of them, she was the one who was there for me the most. 
she's the only person who called me and cried with me after my mom died. And I, um, I did some things I really shouldn't have like done to her, like the way I would like stealing from her, doing other things like that. It's like, I hurt somebody who was genuinely there for me. And do you think that was just because you were, you should have been going through a grieving process, but you were kind of just not going through that process at all? Yeah. Even though it was years later, I mean, I still never actually coped with everything. Do you think you ever faced it even to this day? Or at least properly? To some degree, yes. And to some degree, no. Because I can say I've honestly never found closure. I never have. You want to go into that a little bit more? Um, I felt because she was really sick. Like when I was a kid coming up, she ended up in a wheelchair, ended up on oxygen and everything else. And I know I was kind of like, like I said, I was hard to deal with, but I know I was hard to deal with. And I just caused like a lot of problems and I don't know, man. It's kinda just, just You were just kind of a trouble. trouble yeah. Kid. And I didn't understand. And she, like, when I say somebody who loves you more than, like, anything in the world, like, no matter how bad I was, she still loved me unconditionally. Yeah. And, like, that has, I don't know, man, it, it's caused a lot of issues just in general. Like, I've had relationship issues and everything just because I never really coped with it. I've always blamed myself more than anybody else because I thought my actions and everything I did probably took a toll on her because she was already sick so I felt like I drove her into the grave and it was like a honest like guilt that hung over me for a while but my cousin told me like I was the reason she kept pushing even though she was very very sick because like I said she had diabetes she was in a wheelchair she was on oxygen she was in and out of the hospital the last few years she was here with me, and I felt like it was my fault. For a while, I did. Well, I still do to some degree, but she told me, like, my cousin really told me I was the reason she wanted to hold on. She wanted to stay long enough for me. Still finding peace with that, like, it, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. Uh, yeah. And not being able to say goodbye. That was one of the biggest regrets. Did you have that opportunity at all? No. Yeah, that must. I mean, again, I I can only empathize because I don't. I've never gone through anything, even remotely close. I mean, I think the closest thing to that would be, you know, maybe losing my cousin. But you know, we weren't all that close. Um, I mean, we were kind of younger mm -hmm. when we were younger, but um, obviously, as we grew older, it was, um, and then. You know, recently losing Kyle, obviously, was. And that was really weird for me because that was the first time anybody that I was close to my age, like, died. And yeah. then, then it's kind of like you look inward and you're like, fuck, man, we're really not immortal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> there's always, there's still some of that lingering, like, teenage, like, I'm invincible. And, like, yeah. that kind of knocked it out of me. And it's like, honestly, growing up, seeing guys I either played football with, hung out in the neighborhood with, or just saw, like, in passing, like, I've seen at least probably 10 people I've known to some degree, like, end up getting killed. Yeah. Like, and it's a scary thing to think about. And that's one of the things I think that and having my child honestly pulled me away from running the streets the way I used to.
Yeah. Let's talk about that. Not specifically that, but but that's kind of a segue into something else I wanted to talk to. So talk to you about why did you go to Michigan, Wesley? Oh God, here we go. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, I made a dumb decision because I thought it would help my growth. I ran from my problems because back in 2014, I had a place of my own and I trusted people and pulled them in off the street and let them stay with me and it backfired dramatically. You just being a good person bit you bit you yeah. right in the ass. Yeah, it did. And I ended up going to Michigan with somebody who I'm close to still. We talk, but yeah, like I went up there to stay with a friend and that whole situation turned catastrophic. I ended up getting locked up. And then after I got out, I was only locked up for a month, by the way. But um, after I got back out, I was like, no, I'm going home. I'm going home. Yeah. You did some stuff in between. Yeah. Not not really ready to talk about that. <laughs> no, I mean, we can. Well, you, I mean, it was only for a few weeks. I sold dope for a few weeks. Yeah. It wasn't a long period of time. It wasn't anything like that. I think it, I think that that's an important thing because you kind of got stuck. Yeah, and I got robbed by crooked cops, by the way. Michigan, Detroit has crooked cops. What? Yes. Yeah, I know you've told me this story. Tell me again. So... Like, one day, it was when I was in the trap house up there, and, like, literally, I didn't even really open the door. They busted in the door on me, handcuffed me, asked me a thousand questions. I'm like, bro, what is going on here? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just like, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know. And then they beat this chair and took all the money out of my pocket, took the drugs I had and everything else, and it was just like, but am I going to jail? Only thing they did was unhandcuff me and tell me to run and they better not see me there again. <laughs> yeah, I'm so serious. You hear about crooked cops. That's you had a run in with some some really bad guys. Yeah, man, because they made it seem like I was literally going to jail because they said you're going to take a long bus ride if you don't talk. And I'm just like, OK. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And yeah, like I said, they unhandcuffed me and then told me to run. And me being me, I got the hell out of there. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. I remember calling you up there. You know, you you telling me kind of like the whole, the whole situation of how, you know, you ended up not being where you were supposed to in Michigan in the fucking first place. Yeah. That was, that's just, I just remember that being such a fucking trek. Dude, those four months were terrible. I'm not going to lie to anybody. It wasn't perfect at all. But you said, okay, you said something interesting. You were running from, from your problems here. Um, and I know that you, you were talking about, you know, how your place burned down and all that stuff. Um, what were the series of events that led to the to the burning of your apartment? Well, um, I had a friend I used to hang out with all the time. I still talk to him. Shout out Damon, by the way. But, like, I met two people through him, and they came over to hang out. I didn't know they were staying on the street. So they come over. They hang out. They're like, can we fix somebody? I'm like, yeah, cool. Go ahead. And we're just sitting there talking, smoking, everything else. We're just chilling, hanging out. And they were like, do you mind if we stay here for a night? One night turned into two. Two nights turned into three. And they were like, do you mind if we just stay here because I had an open room? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Because me being me, I was just there alone and everything else. And 
Yeah, so the weekend of my apartment getting burned out, you know I was out here with you. And so my phone was off. I cut my phone off. And something was nagging me all day telling me I need to turn my phone on. And I um, woke up because we had had a get-together the night before. And I woke up and I was just like, I need to go home. Then I was like, nah. And... Then when I get a, uh, did you guys drop me off that night? I think you guys dropped me off. I have no idea. This is so. This is this is this is a this is. A I think bag. you guys dropped me off, man. And uh, it was like I thought I was going in the house to take a shower and hop in bed, and it didn't turn out that way. Next thing you know, I end up looking up. Only thing I see is the front side of my apartment just burned out. Like windows knocked in, the door caved in and everything. All my stuff thrown in the backyard, just wet, soggy from busted pipes. I go inside and look around. I'm like, what the fuck happened? And nobody was there to be found. So you don't even really know how, how the whole thing played out? No. Never. My boy from never what I heard, answers. the two people I uh, was staying with, one of which is dead now. I mean, they were staying with me. Mm-hmm. Um. They got into an argument because one of them was messing around with somebody else to piss the other one off while I wasn't there. And some, I forgot what happened. Like they said he threw like a lighter, set a shirt on fire and left it inside the house or something once he saw she was messing with somebody else. And that's pretty much what happened. God damn. Yeah. Wesley, I'm not going to lie. Some of the stories that you have are fucking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why you're here because you have some really fucking crazy stories tell me another one what's one of the craziest stories you think you got oh he's got his thinking face on <laughs> he's rubbing the chin and everything <laughs> um i don't let me think that's tough just pick any 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 story even if i've heard it before it's all right they have it okay so so the only time I ever popped half a Xanax in my life. Oh, oh here we go. Because <laughs> I don't take pills like that. So me and my boys were going out. We're going to Baxter's on Barstown Road. We're going to have a fun. We're walking up and everything. I black out as soon as I hit the door. I heard stories about how fun the night was on my end. But like I wasn't even in my body. So I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I come to like right around the time we're about to leave. The club lights are coming on. Jermaine's there with me. I tap him like, all right, bro, I'm going to head out. He's like, bro, we're about to leave the club. Where are you going? And next thing you know, I end up walking down Breckenridge Lane, falling asleep on somebody's porch at like four o'clock in the morning and not make. (laughs) Excuse me. And not making it home till eight. Wait, 8 a.m.? Yes. (laughs) You took half a Zan? Yeah, I, I took half a Zan thirteen hours till ah, I land. Shit, I, I should have known that was coming. Wesley, could you have me out like a light? <laughs> why don't you? Why don't you tell us? Will you tell us um, the events that happened after we dropped you off from the Crucible? Jermaine was there. <sighs> tell us. Tell us the story through Jermaine's eyes, and maybe maybe one day we'll have Jermaine on so he could tell us the full story. But but give us the best rundown that you can. Um. So from what he told me. Like, the minute you guys dropped me off, like, you guys had to take me all the way up the stairs, knocked on the door. He said I fell face first in the door, got up, sat in his chair, started drinking his cup of alcohol, 
I don't know what the fuck went on like besides that. And next thing, the only thing I remember is waking up in the middle of the living room like, what the fuck happened? And they told me about it. I was like, bro. They said that they. You also said that they were roasting you for all the shit that we uh, that we drew all over you. Dude, when I saw that, I was so fucking pissed. You guys are dicks. <laughs> There's no need to go into what was actually written on you, but you know it was some pretty horrific shit. Yeah. Do you remember pissing all over my bathroom? No. So I actually forgot about that. Also, me and Michael were doing the podcast um, Wednesday. Thank you, Jessica. Um, and. Uh, he was telling me about you were passed out on the on the shitter, and, and I can't tell you how many times I've done that. <laughs> Not just here, bro. Like in general, seriously, is it, is it the classic Wesley move? I guess. I mean, from what I've heard, like, bro, I went in the bathroom a thousand times at like when I was staying on First Street. And just fell asleep in the bathroom drunk, but like on the toilet, nodding out type shit. Bro. It's like, I don't know why it just happens. Oh, shit. Tell us, Wesley, you, you're you're kind of an uh, aspiring musician, right? Yeah. Um, where did that all start? Um. Well, honestly, like, because I was mainly um right before my mom had died and everything else, I was in, like, uh, Caritas, Our Lady of Peace. Okay. As um, a student, like, I was there as an inpatient for a little bit. And, no, I was an outpatient, actually. But, um, yeah, I was going there. I was going to school there, and, like, they had challenged us to write poems and, like, short stories and stuff. And that's when I realized I kind of had a good, like, idea of what it is, like, rhyming-wise. But I never really even looked at music. And then this one time, funny story, it was with two of my friends that lived, like, by me downtown. And we were walking to 4th Street Live. I had my friend's MP3 iPod listening to music. She had wrestling theme song saved. <laughs> and she had an AJ Styles theme song back when he switched it to like a hip hop with a rock kick in the back. And I was just listening to the song and I just started rapping out of nowhere. And the only thing I look over, I see them looking at me like, dude. And I'm just like, what? And then I told you. And you were like, bro, yeah, definitely. We should try this shit. And then I remember when we had that phone call where you were just giving me random topics from Star Wars to this to that. And it was like, I was just kind of cocky back then just on some bullshit and trying to figure out just like how to do things when I was just trying to freestyle. But like I said, I thank you for actually challenging me to write because writing actually gave me some viewpoint. I haven't really recorded anything yet, but I plan on working on that soon. How sad is it that the last project, I, I remember looking at you and saying, this is the last project I'm ever going to do. And we knew, and I knew it had to be the one with you because we had been talking about it for literal, maybe a decade. Yeah. But and we didn't have the name. We never had the name up until, up until the, we were going to start the project. Yeah. Up until we actually, I'd say probably a things. year prior. Yeah. A year prior. Like, um, Honestly, even though it was long overdue, I feel like that was going to be a really interesting project because we kind of put a collage of sounds together just to like really do something. And that's what I liked about it. I agree. And that's why like through a musical journey, I have to keep you with me, bro. That's why I've said it a thousand times, because like me and you bounce ideas great, whether it's music or anything else. 
Yeah, and and so we were working on Addicts of Addiction. Yeah. It was going to be like 30 tracks. Yeah. We had planned like a really big project. Yeah. Got a lot of it. Like, I I won't even say half, but we had a lot of it done. Yeah. You see even some of it recorded. Yeah. And then swore up and down that I had that shit backed up. Sold the computer. Only to find out, no, none of that was backed up. And so the only two pieces that we have that remain are robo tripping, which was kind of like the defining sound that we were going for through the whole yeah. through the whole thing. Because I I never really you said you think I, I was pretty good, but dude, I loved your verse on that song, and the way you yeah. sounded on the hook was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we did we did pretty good with that that entire project, I ladies think. and gentlemen. Even though he doesn't believe it, Devin is a very underrated artist. He's witty and he's smart with his lyrics. He knows how to choose things. Um, and then there was, um, oh God, what was the one where we did the, it was the Moss Def beat. Uh, shit. I know what you're talking about. We had, we had, we had dubbed in, um, a little interview from Charles Manson at the very beginning. Are you talking about success? That's the one. Yeah. That was from that project also. Yeah. Yeah, And it's Moss Def, not Moss Def. That was a Moss Def beat. Most deaf, bro. Most, Most deaf. deaf. Oh, yeah, that's being, his name. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Because it's M O S. I'm so beginning to like, feel the effects of the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> this man might be kind of inebriated right now. Uh, um, this podcast is for adults only. I, uh, I, I really think that we, especially because we started throwing in some EDM, which, yeah. which nowadays is kind of commonplace. Yeah. When we first, when we first, you know, had that idea to kind of start doing, it, you, you, there were, there were examples. Of people doing it, but we were kind of ahead of that curve. Yeah, before it really became mainstream and stuff. And honestly, I think if we would have really ventured into it more, no disrespect to them, but like I know the way they do their sound. But fuck Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, we could have been better than them. <laughs> we could have been better than them. I, we could have been a black and white version of them, bro. I don't know <laughs> if I, I don't know if I, I could say that uh, that we were more talented than Macklemore. Me, definitely not me. Even though Ryan Lewis is just kind of like the DJ, bro, you still <laughs> like either way. <laughs> I think. Uh, have you ever heard? Uh, what was it? Wings by Macklemore, uh, where he's talking about like Jordans and kind of the hip the whole hypocrisy no. of that. That's pretty good. I'll show you when we're done. But speaking of ladies and gentlemen, where the f- where the hell is Macklemore? I have no idea. I don't know. Neither does the music industry. But anyway, <laughs> hot take. Um, maybe two or three hits and he was out. <laughs> Not even big hits either. He had same love, thrift shop, and can't hold us. I loved that song. Yeah, that was a really good song. That was really that was like my fucking theme song for like a year. And he straight. won Grammy a Grammy for it, I think. If I'm right, good for him, man. How you like the set so far? Yeah, man, it's pretty dope. It's all coming together. A lot of memories, especially with the light right there. Yeah, the little heartogram. Yeah, we, you remember, we've had some classic memories. You with remember that when is. we when we when we would do the um, when we would we would throw the little get-togethers, but we had the enough alcohol for fucking fifty-person parties. <laughs> <laughs> but and we would get we, real trippy with it, and we'd yeah. have to me and you would have to go unscrew all the regular light bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember most definitely. I forgot we came up with a name just to psych people out, like there was a character in there or something. Oh like, yeah, what was it? I want to say it was Charlie or Samuel or Samuel. Or it was Samuel. Yes, yes, it, it was Samuel. Samuel. 
Why? Why did we I do that? I don't know. <laughs> Bro, me and you just experimented with everybody else, Whole especially back in the weed smoking days. Mm-hmm. Like, bro, like, literally, we used to just sit here and watch everybody, like, get the walks, get the munchies, yep. just do shit, bro. And it was some of the funniest fucking shit ever. I remember the first time that that happened. We had a we, we had a pretty good-sized group of people. Yeah. Over. I won't na- name names just in case they don't want to be outed. But we had a pretty good-sized group. And me and you, I think, went outside to, I don't know, smoke a cigarette or something. But we came back in. We noticed that everybody was in conversation. Me and you found ourselves in a u- unique ability yeah, to slip in and just fly under the radar, and we just sat at the high top watching everybody else have conversation. Exactly, and, and we would start to notice characteristics of everybody when they started to get really fo- folded and shit. Yeah, yeah. And then we then we started doing that all the time. <laughs> right, dude. I swear, that's what I was saying. Like, yeah. bro, we used to just sit and observe half the time, bro. <laughs> which, just watch, which makes everybody. us sound really creepy, but it was just funny. Me and you would be high as hell, bro, just watching everybody else. Everybody else would tap out. Me and you would still be going back and forth with the ball, like when you had Nessie and when you had everything else, bro. Like, we used to just literally. Darth Vapor. Darth Vapor. I remember when you told you, I died laughing when you literally caught her and said, bring me Darth Vapor. (laughs) I was like, bro, why did he say it like that? It was freaking hilarious. That thing was sketchy as fuck. It looked like Thomas Edison built that in his fucking <laughs> garage. Like. But it was iconic, and it had a lot of smoke. It did have a lot. Of, you were Once you put the nug in, you had no oh, yeah, choice but gone. to inhale. <laughs> you're fucking gone. Yeah, and then Nessie. I forgot about Nessie. What was the orange one that we had? Um, Shit, I don't know. I can't remember the name. I, no. I remember... <laughs> What? what? No, you remember when you had your uh, tobacco pipe smoking face? Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> the whole idea was that that you know because even even back then I was still trying to make at least somewhat better decisions in my health and stuff, and and I knew smoking was really really bad for you, and I was like, okay, well I'm obviously not going to quit smoking. How can I do it a little more healthy? And I looked into it. Turns out, you know, it's cigarettes are really bad for you yeah tobacco is also bad for you but if you just get pure tobacco and you smoke it out of a pipe it's actually a little bit better for you yeah so i tried yeah no that was a that was a failed experiment at best <laughs> at best he was under sherlock holmes i sure did i looked like a motherfucking idiot only thing you needed was a like a uh, robe to go along uh-huh. with it. Yeah, i would have loved it hugh hefner type shit i would have loved it i would have loved it that shit was comedy. We've had a lot of classic moments. A lot. I remember all the like third, the end of third shift drives home. Oh yeah, that that was legendary. Nothing, like, nothing will top the morning, and we've talked about this so many times that nausea even. But that morning, we were fucking blasting. Was it Rella? Yeah. <laughs> Losing our minds at like eight in the morning on Bardstown Road. Every time. Mainly because of Tyler the Creator's part. Yeah, it was pretty good. Knock, knock, who's there? <laughs> hey, man, that always got us every time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty wild. Do you remember? Do you remember robo tripping? Yes, you did that with us, right? A bunch of times. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because it was most of the time it was me, you, and and Jeremy Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, just getting absolute ignorant, dude. And there was only a couple. Even no matter how much we drank, it always seemed hit and miss. Do you remember? Uh, Along with that, that was a part of the Flatbush zombie phase, too. Yes. Yes. We had so many freaking phases. I'm still mad I didn't go to that Hobson concert with you guys. If I would have known I could go, bro, I would have been in that cypher. Yeah, I would have been. It wasn't very... Yeah, because the guys, the all three guys that they pulled on stage were whack. 
They were terrible. I would have probably got signed by Hobson. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and everybody tells me I look like Hobson, but I don't see it. I don't see it either. It's just because you're tall and dark. Hobson isn't even tall, I think. I think he's tall because he made fun of uh, 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 Kendrick Lamar being short. So he must be at least kind of tall. Honestly, and th- th- this is the part of the segment where we say 90% of your favorite rappers are short. 5'5 five, five and under. That is what? 5'5? <laughs> five, five? Yeah, like Lil Wayne's like 5'5, five, 5'6. Five, five, Lil Wayne, Lil Bootsy, Tory Lanez. Um, who else? Um, a bunch of them are really short, though. Do you think? Do you think that the local music industry is in Louisville starting to gain some traction? Yes, a thousand percent. More than more than the last, like let's say, ten years ago. Beyond. Yeah. Can you give me some examples? There's some obvious ones. Yeah, of course. Bryson Tiller, Jack Harlow. Mm-hmm. Um. Rest in peace to Static Major, by the way. He was the guy who was already kind of on the forefront, but he wasn't in the in front of the camera as much. He had been known for being a great songwriter, but he was more behind the camera than in front of the camera. And then, you know, Lollipop came out in 2008 with Lil Wayne, and then after that, he died. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. After that, he died. And he's a Grammy Award winner because of that song. But um, he wrote some, like, really good songs like Rock the Boat for Aaliyah. I think he wrote Pony for Genuine. Really? He was a part of Yes. He, he, yeah. Wow. I shit you not. There's a lot of that happening, too. And, and maybe maybe it's just I was oblivious to it before. But there's a lot of people that, I, that I'm realizing are starting to actually make a name for themselves. But they spent a lot of time ghostwriting. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. Um, one of Jessica's favorites. I don't want to. I don't even want to take the time to look it up because it'll be just silence on the on the cons. But yeah, I'm noticing that a lot. Um, you talked a lot about you know when we were on the doing the thoughts from the mothership. Yeah. Uh, last Sunday, um, or was it Friday? It doesn't matter. Um, we were talking a lot about like music uh, inspirations and stuff like that. And obviously, Michael Jackson was a was the number one for you. But yeah, always. But we couldn't always. we couldn't expand on any of that. So let's talk about maybe. Uh, so if you had to pick a couple people that come up right behind Michael Jackson, um, good question. Um, I'd say my main influences come like from R and B and soul music. So like growing up, like. Michael Jackson, James Brown, Al Green, Stevie Wonder. Um, even as a kid, like, I'm not going to lie. I watched certain stuff like maybe um, like Elvis related and everything. I was like really deep into music and like Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney's collaborations were awesome to me. Like The Girl Is Mine and Say Say Say. Those were really good songs. Um I said James Brown, Al Green, Sam Cooke, um, who else? Teddy Pendergrass, Barry White, newer artists like Usher, Neo, Chris Brown. Hip-hop-wise, like um, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar. Not so much new Drake, but old Drake. Old Drake. Um, Bryson Tiller, of course. I like Jack Harlow, but I wouldn't put him as like one of mine's. He's great though. I, I like what he's doing. He's he's on the come up I, for sure. I, I think he deserves to be where he is. Yeah, he's he's sure. yeah, most definitely. He's a very smart lyricist, and he he's very he's very catchy too. Like he makes stuff you want to listen to. 
Like his music can gravitate and pull you in, and that's a beautiful thing. Like he said, he wants to write lyrics to where like people in the room can really relate to it. And like when you cut the sound off, people know all the lyrics to it. And that's a dope thing. That's what you aspire for as an artist. But um like guys like uh like I said, Chris Brown, um who else? Uh Jay Z, Nas. I have a lot of musical inspirations, yeah. like guys like Well, okay, but you said you said you mentioned um you know, Chris Brown, um, Usher. Um, do you think that those are the people who echo kind of like your early inspirations, like, uh, you know, Michael Jackson, James Brown, do you think that they're the kind of the closest thing that we have in the newer, uh, yeah, music? That's, for sure. that's for sure. Another thing about like, the reason I like Chris Brown the most is like his dynamic and his versatility because he doesn't just stick with one sound. He can do R&B, he can do pop, he can do hip-hop, he can do EDM, he can do everything. He's ventured into all the... Hell, he's even done Spanish music. Yeah. Like, he's done a lot. It's like, and that's what you want. Even Usher has. Usher doesn't rap, but I mean, Usher's ventured into a lot of different lanes. Like, um, one of my favorite Usher songs is uh, Without You, Him and David Guetta. And that was like probably 2012, if I'm right. And um, artists who are willing to venture out, like guys like like Kendrick Lamar, Kendrick Lamar changing his sound and adding more of like a funk soul tip to it was like something really dope. So that's you like seeing that in an artist, yeah. The versatility, yeah. It's like if you stick with one sound, you're gonna get boring. Mm -hmm. It's like no disrespect to Drake at all, but like a lot of his like newer stuff, like coming past, if I would say. Nothing was the same. Like, that would... No, wait, wait, wait. Because if you're reading This Was Too Late, was after Nothing Was The Same. Yeah, right, I think so, yeah. But, like, after If You're Reading This Is Too Late, it's like... Yes, for sure. Like, views, more life. Everything started kind of sounding a lot alike. He had some different songs, but a lot of it started sounding alike. And that's what you don't want. You want to develop your sound. You want to grow. Don't get me wrong. Drake's sound is amazing. But yeah, it's a like lot, a lot of people, time. you're going to piss a lot of people off with this take. They'll be okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just your opinion. But a lot, a lot, you know, Drake is, and for a reason. I mean, he he does definitely have an appealing sound even now. But yeah, I, I am in the same field as you, as I actually enjoy more more of the older Drake sound. It, it's, I, and I have this theory. I have this theory about a lot of artists and, and, and in, in a lot of different um, categories, not just music, but I feel like. You know, when you're on the come up and you're and you and you haven't made it yet, you put your all into it. Yeah. You put your heart and soul into it. Once you kind of made it, you know, I mean, what else do you have to prove? Yeah. And I kind of have that theory about about not just again, not just music, but kind of everybody. I mean, you know, yeah. when you're, you're trying your hardest when you're trying to make it. And if you're not, then you never make it. Yeah. I agree with that a thousand percent. Like, um. Watching The Last Dance, the uh, Michael Jordan documentary mm. about like uh, the 90s bull, like his whole career, honestly, and like seeing the way after three championships, he was ready to walk away pretty much. And they were already calling him the greatest player that ever lived. <laughs> and he was like, I have nothing else to prove. I've done it all. I've, I'm the only player that's ever won three in a row besides Bill Russell, of course. I mean, which who won eight in a row back in the 60s. But yeah, like in the modern era of basketball. Like, he was like, I have nothing else to prove. I've done it all. 
And he was like, he just wanted to go play baseball and live his life different. But he came back, won three more, and was just like, yeah, what, what, what else can I say? Yeah. And it's like guys in the music industry, sports, it's like once you reach that pinnacle, a lot of guys, a lot of guys lose their drive. A lot of guys don't. I was going to say that that you do kind of see that in the sports world also. I've, yeah. I've heard a lot of people, you know, I'm not a big sports guys, guy, but I've heard a lot of people make that argument. It's like, you know, you really start to see some really peak athleticism yeah. with guys in college who haven't made it pro yet. Right. And then when they go pro, they kind of fizzle out. Of course, that's not true for everybody, but I have heard that argument made. I agree. Because, um, like, a lot of guys, a lot of guys get comfortable once they make it professional. It's like once they go from the college ranks, once they once they get drafted and work from where they wanted to go, they made it to where they wanted to go their whole life virtually. They're like, I'm here. I'm getting paid for it. This is all I need. Yeah. They don't aspire to grow. A lot of them. Which is fine. Yeah. A lot of them just don't want to get better. They get comfortable. And that's what can honestly backfire on you a lot. Like a lot of guys get to a certain point and just fall off. Like one thing I uh, like speaking on Michael Jordan again, a thing I was like that I noticed that he did that I even read about in his biography. Michael Jordan won six titles, but after every championship, he never really wore his rings because he said he didn't want to get comfortable mm. because he wanted to go win more. He had that drive and it's like hell, even though I'm not a big fan of his. Honestly, if he wins a championship in Tampa, he's the GOAT. I'll give it to him. But Tom Brady at 43, going on 43, still isn't done. He still wants to prove shit. I'm not a big Tom Brady fan either, but you have to respect what he's done. Yeah. And, and, I, and that's coming from a guy who don't even pay attention to sports. You have to give him credit where credit's due. Yeah, and he stays in peak athletical con- athletic condition. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, oh, well, they're, they're they're cheating and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. There might be a point to be made there. I'm certainly not the guy to make that argument. That's certainly my point. I'm not going to lie to you. But <laughs> regardless, the man is definitely a, a top-tier athlete. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying that. And he did, he never let himself get out of shape. Like said, you see other all-time greats like Peyton Manning. Mm. Peyton Manning had neck surgery, gained weight. <laughs> my, dude's, of- my dude's doing insurance commercials. <laughs> Dude. Still getting paid a boatload yeah. for it. Bro. Good that's for him, man. That's all it. I got to say. Like, Direct TV you. with his brother and everything. <laughs> good for you, man. Make your money. Make your yeah. money. I'll be happy when I can sit back and just read some lines for a commercial. Dude, I Shit. promise you. <laughs> I want to be like Shaq. <laughs> that's my favorite basketball player of all what do you time. Think, what do you think? And, the thing, hold on. and the thing I heard about Shaq is Shaq has never really touched his NBA contract money. All the money he's been spending is from his endorsements. That's crazy. Over his career. From Reebok, because uh, he's had Reebok, he's had his own shoe, he's had a bunch of different endorsements, mm. like movies and everything, else, like to where he really doesn't have to spend his uh, NBA contract money, because he's done so much. Do you, are you aware of the, I, I hesitate to say that this is a fact now, but I'm pretty sure it is, are you aware of, of the fact that Michael Jackson's father chemically castrated him? I have heard about it. To preserve his voice that way? I have heard about that. That's fucked. That's why, contrary to all belief, like, I heard, like, honestly, even though certain, like, women who were involved with him said certain things, like, 
I've heard to because of that, Michael was never really sexually active ever in his life. And that wouldn't, I mean, that wouldn't really surprise you, right? No. Because that's, you know, you're you're destroying, you know. I mean, that's because they did it so that they could kind of preserve his, like, boyish sound and stuff. Yeah, because his voice was ultra light. When you look at the rest of his family members, I mean, you can, they're all kind of bigger guys. I mean, yeah. right? Like, and he's kind of dainty and smart. Or, yeah, he and, was yeah. anyway, and he kind of moved a little bit. There was something very feminine about him from the beginning, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and he just had that quiet element to him. Yeah. Like, a thing I also saw, like, watching, like, behind the music and everything else, because, like, when it comes to, like, my favorite artists, I dig a little deep sometimes. Mm. And, um, like, they said Michael, before he would go on stage, he'd be, like, ultra shy, hiding behind people and everything. But when he goes out there, he's on at all times. He I mean, just The man clicks. was a performer. Exactly. And that's why, like, I honestly, he's one of the main reasons I fell in love with music. I'll tell people that because the way he controlled a stage, controlled a crowd, like, all eyes were on him. In today's generation, it's like, you can go to a concert and it's like people in the crowd will be having fun and stuff, but a lot of them, you'll look down if you see some from some angles at concerts, people are on their phones, people aren't really paying attention, people are quiet, people aren't really into the show. Do you think that that's because of a lack of showmanship or do you think that that's just because, I mean, because like if you think about it, like back when Michael uh, Jackson was performing, you didn't really have a, like you didn't literally have the world at your fingertips. Yeah. Do you yeah, think it's I more, mean, yes, or do yes. you think it's both? I think technology has changed a lot. I agree. Even a in lot. our lifetime, I remember, um, I remember growing up, and like obviously the internet was around, but like it wasn't like like it is today. You still went out and played. You still, right, get, yeah. But now it's like, like like with my kids, it's like I don't want to stop them from using technology because that's the world they're gonna live in. Yeah, and a lot of people are making tons of money doing that, and it's only gonna advance even more. That's what I'm saying. So it's like at 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 some point, I want to like preserve like that kind of childhood memory that I had growing up. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't want to inhibit their ability to learn what their world's gonna be like. And so it's weird. It's weird. Do you do you have that balance with uh with justice? Um, like trying to like keep her. Thank you. Um, keep um, her kind of sh sheltered from the internet, um, just to preserve like that kind of pureness. Like honestly, at the same time, it, it's a yes and no factor. Yeah, me too. Because I don't want to just like keep her out, especially when the temp like in summertime mm -hmm. and the wintertime. I don't want to take her out when the temperature is like dangerous when because it's a, I don't want. It's like I'll take her to the park, let her play, let her run around. But if it's like ninety seven degrees, I'm not going to keep her out there super long. Right. Because I know she'll get tired, and I know she'll like eventually she doesn't even have to be out there long, and she'll want to go back in the house. Mm. And it's like, yeah, she does use my phone. Yeah, she watches TV, but she watches a lot of educational stuff too. Yeah, like, um, but I, I find myself on both sides because it's like, you know, you you don't know if if you know Justice might grow up and to be like one of these you know huge YouTube influencers or yeah. whatever the fuck it'll be called, you know, when they're adults. And why would you want to stop them from learning the internet? But at the right. same time, it's like, I don't know, because it, it's like it feels weird to me because yeah. we grew up without that. Yeah, and it's like, honestly, when you look at it... Corona time, baby. Corona time. Not to be confused with COVID. <laughs> right. But no, um, yeah, like, when I honestly sit back and look at it, like, she really wants to do music. She wants oh, to do a lot of things. Surprising no one. 
<laughs> I mean, like she uh she sings in the choir with her mom at church. Mm. She um she low key is learning like she hasn't really learned a lot, but she's starting to learn how to play like drums and keyboard and stuff like that. And she's really into it. And crazy thing without me teaching her, even though it's not the original version, her favorite song is a Michael Jackson song, and it's my favorite Michael Jackson song. Her favorite song that? is Human Nature. Human Nature. Mm-hmm. What's that one? How's that one go? Why? Why? Tell them that it's human nature. Why? Yeah, I do know that one. That's not, yeah. Okay. I got confused at first because I thought that was the one where he does the music video. No, now. Human nature doesn't have a music video. Okay. See, that's the problem. I thought that was the one. The one I'm thinking of that immediately when you said that, and I don't know why I'm getting confused here, but it's because I don't listen to Michael Jackson as much as you do. The one that, yeah, no. the one that he does. Um, I believe it's in South America, maybe Brazil. Oh, that's they don't really care about us. That's the one. That's the one. When you said human nature, that's immediately what I thought of. But yeah, that's just because I don't listen to as much as you. Do. Yeah, no, just like you listen to the Beatles and I don't. Right. I mean, I definitely. But the difference is, I do listen to some Michael Jackson. You don't listen to no fucking Beatles songs, except for the ones that everybody knows. Pretty much. <laughs> I remember that conversation too. I remember setting you like you. You're like I don't even know any Beatles. I'm like motherfucker. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's yeah. Like, do you say goodbye? Say hello, and then help. I need somebody. Help. <laughs> <laughs> that song I heard before it was in a commercial. The crazy thing about it, I first heard "Come Together" because of uh, the Moonwalker movie. Because Michael Jackson remade Come Together by the Beatles. In my opinion, I like it better than the original version. A lot of people did, redid that song. It's more up-tempo, and it has more fire to it. But, um, yeah. Like, um, there's a lot. What? <laughs> I'm just thinking of how many times you've said, like, um. Can somebody at home do a Force tally? of habit. Okay, uh, everybody get your clickers out. <laughs> We're going to do a count right now. But, yeah. I um know a few Beatles songs. I probably know five or six. Yeah, I know "Imagine" by John Lennon. Everybody knows that yeah. song, like you said. But I know yeah. the ones everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Beatles are they're, they're so old. Yeah, and it's like their sound. Like when it comes to older sound, their sound wasn't. It was okay, but it wasn't as crisp as everybody else's. What I will say about like what what. One of the things that I think is really important to keep in mind is they were one of the pioneers of, of doing stereo instead of mono. Yeah. And I think that was incredibly important for the music industry. I never really knew that. Yeah, so like if you go to listen to a lot of like older Beatles songs, if you listen to it with one earbud uh-huh. in, at some times there won't be any audio in that earbud because it's on the other earbud. And now, of course, we've gotten a lot better about that. Yeah. But people still do master in stereo format instead of... Like there's a reason there's a left and right earbud because... There's different sounds coming from that. Right. It kind of creates a 360. Yeah, they were. For they, sure. They were one of the pioneers. There's a couple other, but they were one of the pioneers of that. Just like um, just like you said that about them, like Michael Jackson's sound changed music. Oh, 100%. It's like the instrumentation and the way he did everything really upped it. Him and Prince were two of the guys who really changed the complete sound and surface of music and the just the, the the pure amount of money that was being thrown at these guys yeah i mean it's no wonder that that obviously they changed the music industry there was so much money being thrown at their feet they had the ability to literally change how music sounded yeah i mean and it's, the thing it's about amazing. it even though he came up with his brothers everybody knows 
the Jackson Five needed Michael more than Michael needed the Jackson Five. Everybody well, that's, knew that's Michael based on Michael's career. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you see, Jermaine's the only other one that really tried to go solo, and that didn't work out at all. Yeah. I mean, he had, like, Let's Get Serious and everything, but he didn't have, like, big hits like Michael. And his sister? Yeah. Jan- no, Janice. Did- we're talking about the guys in the Jackson oh, 5. Okay. We're not talking about I-, I thought you were just talking about the family. In my opinion, like, stage performance-wise, Janet is the greatest female performer of all time. Of all time. Because that- back in her prime, amazing dancer, amazing vocalist, even, this- even to this day, even though she's in her 50s, she can still perform great. Mm. But, um... Yeah, like, seriously, you look at certain people from certain, there's always, like, with bands that come out together, there's always that one lasting member. Mm. Like, NSYNC, Justin Timberlake's the only one to have a successful music, like, big music career out of all of them, because he was the face. Not just music anymore. Yeah. I mean, the man's well-diverse yeah. at this point. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Dick in the box. <laughs> <laughs> he even kind of did yeah. comedian stuff. You yeah. Know? He's funny as hell. Yeah. Uh, it's not gay if it's in a three-way. <laughs> the golden rule. <laughs> Never gets old. <laughs> but yeah, um, he like there's a lot. And just like the avenues today, it's like artists are continuing more and more to not just do music. They're branching out into acting more. They're changing their sounds. They're they're becoming more diverse, and they're, they're doing a lot. I know you don't know a whole, whole lot about um, Chance the Rapper. No. Uh, but Chance and Childish Gambino, and I think I actually heard this from Childish Gambino, but he was talking about it because yeah. Chance was the one that taught him this. Uh, a lot of their music they put out for free. Yeah. And it's because they, they made the argument where it was like, you know, if kids want to listen to this music, they're going to get it for free. Yeah. Like they're going to get to hear this for free. So instead, why not just try to release it for free or so, at least some of it and then try to promote their personal brand and make money that way. Yeah. Oh, chance. The rapper, Oh, chance. The rapper interview. I saw like he even said he doesn't really make profit off his. Ad. He makes money off of it because the deal he has with Apple, mm. like he sold, he said uh, the coloring book album to Apple, I think for maybe, Two hundred thousand dollars, maybe. What a deal! Yeah, no, and that Apple. album sold a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say that was a great deal for Apple. Yeah, and he won three Grammys off of that project. The thing about it, he said he makes more of his money off of merchandise and ticket sales. Yep. The thing about it, his three hats, the yep. infamous hats. Oh yeah. He said he made six million dollars off of those. Just the hats. Yep. Holy shit. And Chance the Rapper Somebody is Somebody figure out how we make hats. Somebody quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like seriously, uh, a few years ago, Chance the Rapper was worth about $9 million. I don't know how much he's worth now. But the thing about it, record labels are still dying to sign this guy. Hmm. Even though I don't think his last project was that great. But he's... he's Nobody really thought it was. He's, he's very much in the camp of, of not signing with a label, right? He wants to do it kind of on his own. He's not going to sign with the label. And labels are trying to sign him for his net worth. Like, literally, he was worth $9 million getting $10 million record deal offers and turning them down. At what point do you start to just say, <laughs> like, take the money? Man, and uh, it's crazy, like, seeing a guy like who uh, died last year, Nipsey Hussle. Mm. Like, the way he did his thing, bro, it's like he spent so many years underground coming up. 
to where he made money and his name was well known in the streets already as an artist. And that's why he said when he actually signed his deal with Atlantic, he had too much leverage because his name was already out there so well. Mm. The man was a pioneer. He literally put out the, he started the Proud to Pay Act. To where he, uh, in 2011, if I'm right, the Crenshaw mixtape, he was selling a mixtape for $100 a piece. Like individually? Yep. And do you know who's the person who bought 100 copies of that mixtape? Tell me. Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Jay-Z spent $10,000 on that man's mixtape. Just because. And he sold that mixtape out. Like, literally. That was a pioneering move. Like, he literally... That's why... um, It was a great thing to see. Because he was independent. Doing it on his own. And his name was out there well enough... To where he could say, I'm putting this out for $100 and people buy it. That's why he said when he signed with the record label, it was more of a distribution deal before he died. Mm. Because he was like, I want to do things on my own terms, still have control of my own stuff, do my own thing, but use them to put my content out. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's wild. I mean, being able to sell any one piece of content for $100 to the consumer directly is impressive as hell that's that's i mean that's like me okay that's like me saying all right hey i've got i've got you know because what was that how long do you think that mixtape was if you had to take a guess probably about 20 30 songs so you got to think like what like a few like over an hour but it's like at most like what two two and a half hours at most guessing yeah yeah just guessing obviously but that's like me going up to you and saying Hey, I've got two and a half hours worth of of music here. You want to buy it for a hundred dollars? What as like an investment? No, no, no. Just so you can listen to it. Like that's power. Yeah. That's so much leverage. And Nipsey was like honestly one of the smartest artists of our generation. Like ser- the way he did things and the way he was giving game and his music about like he was telling other rappers the same way J Cole was trying to tell the younger generation of rappers on his last album. Like, don't just get the deal, go buy jewelry, go do this, and blow all the money. Because mm. that's how they get you trapped oh, yeah. in those deals. It's when you don't got no more money. Exactly. And you end up having to work your butt off to pay the record label back. Then you're scratching to sign another deal. Exactly. Because the thing about it that's a gamble with the record label, it's like you look at it. Artist CDs will go into stores and go on shelves, even though nobody really buys CDs off shelves. I'm talking say, about like, yeah. yeah. But either way beforehand, like when they were... It's like artists would their CDs would be on shelves for ten to fifteen dollars a pop. Mm. That album goes platinum. That's fifteen million dollars. Right, ten to fifteen million dollars. Yeah, and your own you might see a million out of that. Oh yeah, the label's gonna get their cut. Yeah, they're taking a majority. That's why any artist will tell you nowadays. J Cole was one of the main ones who said it. You're gonna get your money off the road. Mm. Touring is where you're gonna make your money, not album sales. Yeah, and they're getting. I've I've seen a, a an article about about streaming now because yeah. mostly most most people are streaming nowadays, and the artists are getting fucked even more off streaming than they yeah. ever were off CDs, and they were already getting screwed on CDs. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. Yeah, man, it's like honestly, you have to you have to really look into the terms of your contract, and you have to know how to work it, and you have to have an amazing work ethic. Who was the band that did the the soundtrack for Limitless? Do you remember who they were? The Limitless movie. Yeah, the movie. 
With Matthew McConaughey? Yeah. Uh, was he in that one? Where you take the pill and it makes you smarter? I don't think that was Matthew McConaughey, bro. No. He, he, that's, that's cer- he certainly wasn't the lead. Bradley Cooper? That's the one. Um, they also did know. Gold on the Ceiling. You got me on this one. Gold on the Ceiling? I got to look it up. But yeah, like seriously, um, knowing how to leverage and knowing how to do it is a major like thing. Because me, that's something I would not do because the advice I've heard from other artists, if I sign a deal, I'm not touching that money. I'm not even going to play with it because I'm not going to go out here and buy this and that. It's like most I might do is give me a little crib. That's it. It's the Black Keys, by the way. The Black Keys were doing an interview where they were talking about how they were getting fucked on streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, they weren't. They Their biggest album was their first one. You know where yeah. they did that, where they did that soundtrack or whatever. Yeah. Um. I mean, they kind of fizzled out after that. I'm a big fan, but whatever. Um. I can only imagine. You know, when, especially when you're such a small, a smaller artist. Like, uh-huh. obviously, Jay Z is not getting fucked. No. Not the same not. way, anyway. Not the same way. Diddy's not getting fucked. If Diddy, start, if Diddy decides to put out a fucking project, he's not getting fucked. Yeah, because he is the label. He's going to put the project yeah, he's, out yeah, he's not worried about any of that. Yeah, Jay-Z's the same way now. I mean, Jay-Z's been that way for a majority of his career because Jay-Z said at first record labels didn't want to sign him, so he signed himself. He's a businessman. Yeah. The, he, I mean, say what you want about everything about him, but, I mean, the man the man knows what he was doing. Exactly. He did not He did not slow down the hustle at all once he started, you know, making it. Yeah, and it's like, honestly, when you really look at it, it's like his marriage. Him and Beyonce... They can be in love or whatever they want to say, but at the same time, it's like that marriage is a business deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that, but there's you cannot you cannot ignore the financial benefits of that powerhouse of a, yeah. Because of a relationship. we know neither one of them is selling out football stadiums by themselves. They do a tour together. They're selling out football stadiums around the world. Yeah, I mean that's and that's first off that's crazy. When you're an artist and you're and you go to a country, a non English speaking country, and you can still sell out. That's Indeed. insane. Yeah. America is such a powerhouse for that kind of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. You don't really see, you, you kind of see, you know, like maybe in the UK. Uh, so every now and then they'll, they'll, there's a band or somebody who comes out of the UK um, and, and they do well. Yeah. You don't really see that anywhere else. Yeah. And it's like the growth between, especially between America and the UK, like they support a lot of our artists like crazy. Yeah. Like a lot of them, like yeah, that that's a big deal. If you can, that's a big segue for an artist and a big deal, like chart wise. If you can be number one in the U.S. and be number one in the U.K. at the same time, that's huge. Oh yeah, the amount of influence that you're putting on the world, yeah, it, it it's insane. I agree, uh, and the fact that any one person, obviously, it can't you know. Any of these big artists aren't, it's, it's not one person. There's an entire team working on this, but you know, just one individual who, who started the movement and then got a team behind them enough to influence millions of people all over the world yeah. is crazy. And think about the artists who had to do it back when um, record sales were record sales and not streaming. Oh, yeah. Streaming speeds up record sales, but it's like the crazy thing about streaming is like money wise. An artist has to get to make a million dollars off of streams. You have to like have a billion streams. Yeah. 
But um, that's what I'm saying. They're, they're kind of yeah. fucked <laughs> because it's like traditional record sales were way different. Even though artists were only getting pennies on the dollar back then, still, like uh, Will Smith put an emphasis on point in the uh, Will remix with Jordan Lucas. Mm-hmm. He was like, "I sold 60 million records when people had to actually go to the I store." Love that line, where they had to actually wait in line and go to a store and get it. Way before iTunes and the fans had to get CDs. Exactly, still. love that line. And that's that's really a testament to like the older, yeah, yeah, because they have to actually go out and purchase the album. It's not just go on YouTube, go on Spotify, do this, do that. And especially in a world where nowadays you can literally get you never you never have to leave the house. Yeah, you don't. You never have if you don't want to. You never have to leave the house uh, as long as you got money. Right, man. That's all you have to do. I so mean. and 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 to be able to say that people would leave their house and still go buy CDs. In a, in, a, in a world where it's like that, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, man. What do you make of, what do you make about this whole Kim Kardashian and, and Kanye West thing going on? <sighs> what do I make of it? Yeah, do you, do you know anything about it? Any that whole that? relationship was bound to be drama from the start, honestly. That relationship was built to be like a media frenzy. Like, honestly, there's couples that are couples to be together and couples to be together because of power and influence and the money they can make. Yeah. Like, honestly, a lot of these couples are set up by record labels, media, everything. You think so? Yes. That's a bold claim. Dude, PR relationships are huge in the music industry. Why do you think half of... Ergo, going back to him, why do you think half of Drake's relationships with famous women haven't lasted that long? One more time. Hit me with the question again. I said, why do you think, like, a lot of, even though he hasn't been with a lot, a lot of famous women, like, why do you think his relationships with some famous women haven't lasted that long? Like, Jennifer Lopez. That was a publicity stunt. You think so? Yes. Wait, um, uh, who was the one that, that he worked with on Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Oh, uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Angelina Jolie. Yeah. I mean, they fell in love on set, right? From what I heard, but at the same time, you knew that would take the movie up a different level. If it's That's like a that. fair point. It is. That's a fair point. Because it's like, and then the media circus that surrounded it. It's like he was with Jennifer Aniston when the movie started. Yeah. Drops her, get, gets with Angelina before the movie like really drops or right around the time. Hollywood's crazy. It is. You got to be a special kind of crazy to make it there. Yeah, and it's like crazy thing about it. It's around the time Drake dropped more life. And um, he had a song on there where he sampled uh, Jennifer Lopez. And he was going to do a whole video for it and everything. I don't know what happened. It was a song called Teenage Fever. Mm. And he sampled a Jennifer Lopez song. And it's like they didn't even stay together that long. They were together maybe shit a few weeks. And Drake's all on his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Ergo Kiki, do you love me? <laughs> I can't, I don't want to say like, the words, I want to get demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I'm a Drake fan, but at the same time, Drake's music has digressed. I'm not going to lie. I mean, again, they'll come out with a few good songs here and there, but it's like, there's so many people that are going to disagree with you on that. They can disagree. I mean, yeah, because it's all opinion based. Yeah, feel free. I'm right there with I, what I really miss most about, about, Drake is 
especially like his really early work where he was literally it was it was rap it was yeah. hip hop it was not this kind of i mean and he is kind of the one that that made hip hop what it is now the the sound that we're hearing now yeah. is because of drake so drake i mean i guess i guess in, in a way you have to give you you definitely need to give him props for that yeah but like there was something really just you could just tell the kid had a lot of skill yeah you know that the verses on um if he writes i'm going music. in well, yeah, we, that's a different conversation. But, like, I'm going in. The verse he had on that? Yeah. That was fucking flame. Yeah. And there was some real lyrical, you know, and now it does sound like, even if he doesn't have Ghost Riders, which, you know, I don't, I'm not. Still waiting. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not versed enough in that to make that argument, but. But I ain't gonna lie, that, that I'm still, that I'm going in versus classic. That whole, all of his sound nowadays, it does sound like there's a team behind and they are definitely trying to make money. I give his producer ultra credit. 40 is an incredible producer. Like the beats behind Drake, the uniqueness behind his sound, especially which we still can say to this day, even eight years after, Take Care is Drake's greatest album. He has not topped it. So many people. He has not there, topped it. There are people screaming right now. He is not. It's true. He has not made an album better than Take Care. He hasn't. Wesley, I I am so happy that you were my first guest on Down to Earth. I'm grateful, brother. I'm grateful. Um, I'm happy to be here. We're definitely going to do this. Me and you are going to have to have a couple episodes, I feel like. Oh, yeah. You already know. <laughs> um, but uh, that's going to be um, everything for today's uh, episode on Down to Earth. Um, Wesley, thanks for coming on again. You can find Wesley on Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram. Wesley, is there anything else you want to add and or plug? Um, just plug Gray Man Media one time for the episode. <laughs> plug my brother on the other end, Devin Gray. Follow him on all social media if he hasn't told you already. Um, and just love to everybody out there. Hope y'all staying safe. Awesome. All right. Again, for Gray Man Media, I'm Devin. Don't forget, a new episode of Thoughts from the Mothership airs this Monday. And we'll see you next week.